let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the many times that your word has brought us comfort or has brought us challenge or has brought us just that exact word for the season that, that we need. We thank you, Lord, that your word is our primary means of growth, is our primary means of discipleship. Uh, and Lord, we pray that these words of power, these words of truth, uh, these words of prophecy, Lord, uh, would really come alive in our midst this morning and that you would speak into our brains and our hearts and our wills. Um, and Lord, that, that, uh, that, that we would feel the hands of the potter on our lives as we read your word and hear it expounded. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, Miranda and, and Deborah uh, started off our Advent series by sharing uh, about how we are to live apocalyptic lives, uh, which are uh, lives that reveal. Um, and one of the ways was that last week we actually took an offering for the flooding uh, that has been and is happening out west. And uh, I'm pleased to say that uh, from last Sunday, uh, from you guys, we brought in $1,395, which is absolutely wonderful. So I'd like us just to give, you know, the Lord an applause and uh, even ourselves, maybe that's okay, you know, because it's, it's really going to a good cause. And so that's going through World Hope Canada uh, to the Salvation Army and the work that's happening out west. And so if you do still want to give, because of course, this is uh, long-term stuff, um, you know, the need's going to go on and on. And so I would encourage you, if if you, if you haven't yet given and the Lord has kind of impressed on your heart, then just uh, you can take an envelope, write the word flood on the front, and uh, we will make sure that money gets to where it needs to be. But, but this is what living an apocalyptic life means. This is what living a life of revealing of revelation looks like. like. Uh, and so as we talk about an apocalyptic life, we're talking about a life that reveals Christ, that reveals the coming kingdom, even while we're waiting for his kingdom to arrive. Okay, so we're living it and we're waiting for it at the same time. And they also talked about being in this um, already but not yet space, this um, in-between space. There we go. Okay. If you just click, there we go, marvelous. This, this... In between space. So, um, so this is where we all live right now. We're all living in this in between space. Uh, so Jesus has already come once as a human bringing us salvation, but we're waiting for him to come again. Um, which is known as the second coming, uh, to set things right and to deal with every last vestige of evil and sickness and death and sadness once and for all. But this hasn't happened yet. Hands up if you're aware that every last vestige of evil, sadness, sickness, and all that hasn't yet been dealt with once and for all. Have you experienced that in your life? Yeah? yeah me too, right? So, so, this, so in this time of in-between, uh, I'm actually going to just say to you, Nathan, next slide, because I know what's, what's happened, and it's my fault again. So, Next slide. In this, so it's this in between us uh, that causes um, many of us to feel unsettled much of the time, and this is why we feel things like grief and sadness and loss. This is why, like I've already talked about, that there are floods um, over in BC. This is why refugees recently were weaponized as pawns. Um, 
uh, on the border of, of Europe. Uh, this is why you know, disabled children are, are considered as cursed and rejected by families in Sierra Leone, like we heard about last Sunday. This is why families fight and parents separate here in Canada. And this is why we feel unsettled, because we're not yet home. It's like we're on the threshold of this new heavens and this new earth. And we can almost look in, but we're not quite in there yet. We have a foot in the door. Um, we're like a child browsing on the Amazon store. And we see what we want, but we don't have the funds in our account yet. And so we aren't quite able to have it, even though we can see it. This next slide is threshold living, which is also known as liminal living. Actually, let's just go back to the previous one. So liminal living, what is liminal? What is threshold living? Well, lots of us have heard about minimal living, living a minimal lifestyle, you know, you know um, maybe tiny homes or Marie Kondo or maybe decluttering or only buying what you need or simplifying or, or creating space in your life, you know, things that kind of... Um, the whole of the Christmas season as the world sees it, you know, and we've just come on the, black, uh, uh, on the, on the heels of Black Friday and uh, all that stuff. And so this, so minimal living is the antithesis of all of that, right? It's the trying not to get stuff. And uh, I'm just aware of the things as we're buying them for the girls and we're hiding them away and it grows and it grows and it grows. And there's, I, it's as much a stress as it is a joy, right? So, so th this is minimal living, but limited Liminal living is something else. Liminal living is about being uncomfortable with living intention. It's about learning to dwell on the threshold of time and forever. And you know, so for Christians, it's about allowing this unsettledness that we feel that Romans 1 talks about in Romans 2, uh, but this unsettledness and this longing uh, that it's not just something that we learn to live with, but we allow it to translate into social action, into worship, and into actually making a difference in your life. This is liminal living. Now, the word liminal comes from the Latin word limer, L-I-M-E-R, meaning threshold. And a uh, yoga website of all places I was looking at this week. I wasn't looking at yoga websites. I was looking for liminal, and the first one was a yoga website. And so I went on there, and what this website says is that liminal is being that place, uh, next slide, between the no longer and the not yet. It's, the, it's, it's that space between the no longer and the not yet. We're no longer content with what the world has to offer because Jesus has transformed us. That is no longer enough for us, but we're not yet there with Jesus. We're no longer here, but we're not yet here. We're in this liminal space. And so I wonder for you, uh, now that we have a phrase for it, now that we have a term for it, I wonder how has this liminal longing and this unsettledness manifested itself? Where do you see this liminal longing, this unsettledness manifesting in your own life as you realize that you're no longer here, but you're not yet here? So this morning, as we continue exploring this idea of liminal living, let's advance last week's idea of revealing 
into, next slide, this main idea this morning of uh, responding. That's supposed to say responding. Um, but So revealing was last week. This, this morning is responding. So let's open our Bibles and... Uh, and our lectionary scripture this morning is Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And as we're reading it, look at how the idea of responding shows up. Next slide. Luke chapter 3, 1 to 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip was tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene. Next slide. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Next slide. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Next slide. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Let's just say that last sentence all together, and all people will see God's salvation. That's the goal, that's the aim, is that all people would see God's salvation. So this, this scripture encourages us, each of us, in this in between that we find ourselves as we, lim- as we live out this liminal life of no longer and not yet. And it does so by uh, inviting each of us, uh, next slide, to personally respond to, to an historical or a historical, I'm not sure I, I want to say an historical, but a historical universal king. Each of us is invited to respond to a historical and universal king. Each of us this morning, right where you're sat, you are receiving an invitation to respond to to the historical universal king whose name is Jesus. Now, as it is with any king, any royalty, any queen, uh, if they issue you an invitation or a prime minister or or a president or anyone important in this world, is that if you're uh, issued an invitation, then you tend not to just ignore it, right? You don't get a letter from the queen and file it away and forget that she sent it to you. If, if, if I got an invitation from the queen to meet her, this would be the first item of discussion over supper with the family. I would not care how the girl's day at school went, I would not be interested. I would not be interested to hear how Wendy's placement was. All I would want is to have that moment where I get to kind of say, have a guess who I got an invitation from, right? That's the only thing that would be on my mind. And uh, so who is this king, this Jesus, who's extending an invitation to us this Advent season this morning? Well, the first thing that Luke tells us about Jesus is that he's historical. He actually lived during history. He showed up in a particular year, in a particular place. Luke's version of events isn't once upon a time in a land far, far away. No, Luke isn't writing a fairy tale. Luke is someone who obsesses over data and facts and figures and evidence, right? So in the span of these few verses in Luke chapter 1, verses one to, Luke 3, 1 to 6, let's see how many facts 
are laid out. How many names does Luke drop? Next slide. It's the, it's the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. We've got Pontius Pilate as the governor of Judea. We've got Herod. We got Herod as the tetrarch or the ruler of Galilee. Then we've got Herod's brother, Philip, as the tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis. We've got Lysanias, who's the tetrarch of Abilene, which I think is one of the most country songs in the Bible. You know, I, I don't imagine this is a first century word. I think, you know, that this should be Garth Brooks' daughter's name or something. But, uh, and, and then we got the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas. And so there are so many uh, names in, this, in, these, in, in, the, in these one or two verses that really add nothing to the narrative whatsoever. But what they do function as are historical coordinates that place us in history. And the incident that Luke is trying to historically place us in is this. Next slide. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. That's what, what Luke's trying to place us in. And so Luke tells us about all these eminent rulers just so that we can historically place some homeless person living rough in the boonies who, quote-unquote, hears from God. Weird. But what if Luke is name-dropping these five historically identifiable figures because this guy, John, is not just a homeless guy living in the boonies who hears voices, but in fact, far from that, John is actually the true herald of the true king of kings. So it's like Luke's doing this, this like, um, like a build-up to this grand reveal. It would be like me saying, yeah, I had a bunch of Canadian celebrities over at my home the other day. I had Leanne Cusack from CTV News. And I had Anne Murray. I had Pierre Polyev. I had Caroline Meehan. And I had... Robbie Robertson from the band. And, you're, you know, and if I listed off those names, you'd be quite impressed because you've heard of some of these names. But then I say, but then out of the blue, Hayley Bieber shows up. And she says to us, hey, we've heard that there's a party going on and actually Justin's on his way with a pack of Tim Biebs. Is it okay if we come? Okay, and oh, so you got Leanne Cusack from CTV News. That's pretty cool. But Justin Bieber with, some, with a pack of Tim Biebs. Do you know how much these are reselling for at the moment? I, it is insane. Like, like this, I, I, if, you go on to, um, if, you, if you go on to eBay, one of these, exactly one of these, uh, an empty pack with crumbs in it is going for $500. Right? People are trying to sell these. And if you manage to get one of the fanny packs, or if you're in the UK, one of the bum bags, and, uh, or if you manage to get one of the toques, those are reselling for thousands of dollars. Okay, so look it up, hold on to it, and fund your child through university, okay? But so, so that's what Luke's, Luke's really doing here, though, is that is that he's setting the historical scene with some minor celebrities in order to set the stage for the herald uh, of the global phenomenon who is King Jesus. 
So Jesus, next slide, is historical. But he's also universal. He's the Lord and Savior and King for all people everywhere. Verse 6 of Luke 3 reads this. Next slide. And all people will see God's salvation. All people will see God's salvation. This is God's plan. This is God's intent that through the historical Jesus, everyone on earth will have the opportunity to experience God's salvation, to see God's salvation. Now, they won't all choose it. But the point is, it's accessible. It's within their reach. God's goal is that through Jesus and through the spread of the gospel, through uh, missionary efforts, through church planting, um, that all people will see God's salvation, including you. And of course, this is why as Cornerstone, we support the McCullers in Cambodia. This is why we support Sarah in Montreal. This is why we support Nick at Norwood in Edmonton. This is why we support Miracle Marnie in Chio. This is why we support World Hope in Sierra Leone, Haiti, and many other places. And this is why actually tomorrow at 7 p.m. Uh, in, our, in our hybrid church family meeting, we will be voting on... Uh, increasing our missions giving from the 10% that has been during COVID back up to 15%. Why? So that all people will see God's salvation. Listen to these words from another one of our lectionary readings. This is Luke chapter 1 verse 76 where Zechariah the priest is prophesying over his son John. Next slide. And you, my son, will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Now this is John's calling. And it's also our calling as well. Verse 77. Next slide. In... uh, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now, this is the verse that we had read to us um, in the lighting of the, you know, of the candle. And once again, it's such a powerful, rich verse. Um, so, so he's come to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. The knowledge of salvation. Um, the gospel says that all people can know that they are saved. All people can have the opportunity to know that they're saved, that they're rescued, and that they're secure. Why? Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. The God that we proclaim shows mercy which is tender. I wonder, when you think of Father God, how many times do you think of Father God as a tenderly merciful God? Now, I heard someone say this week that this word translated as tender mercy here is a word that actually refers to the bowels, okay? And uh, which in those days was the seat of the emotions. Now we talk about our heart, you know, there on Valentine's Day, you'd say, you move my bowels, right? Okay. Not nowadays so much. And, and, but what this is saying is that God's, God's response of the gut, God's instant, instinctive, um, maybe primal response to us is to show tender mercy, is to love, is to show compassion, is to show grace. It's like God is a giant leg. Okay, if, if you can imagine God as a giant leg, and each time we pray to him or call out to him, we tap that point just under his knee. And each time he sees our predicament, his jerk response 
almost that he cannot help it. His jerk response is to show us tender mercy. His reflex, his gut response, his his bowel response to your situation right now is compassion. Let's keep reading. Next slide, verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the verse which is on our Advent invitation cards. And so I really encourage you, you know, they were on your seat as you sat down. Pray and see who in your life needs to hear about this God who shines on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Who, who is it that you know whose feet need to be, need to be guided into the path of, uh, uh, of peace? Now, uh, uh, one of the questions I have actually is, I wonder how often does that imagery, which we see on the screen, how much does that imagery factor into our presentation of the gospel? Okay, you, you know, you invite a friend over for our, our Advent services, and while you're doing that, you know, it starts a conversation, and during that, during, during that conversation, they ask you, why do you believe what you believe? Well, how incredible would it be to say, next slide, you ask me why I believe in Jesus. Well, let me explain it like this. It's like I was living in darkness living in the shadow of death, but then Jesus was like this rising sun that came from heaven and he shone on the dark places of my life, even the deepest shadow in the valley of death, and he illuminated the landscape of my life and my mind and my heart with spiritual knowledge and, uh, and, and, and I experienced through faith this light and warmth of God's glory and presence. And it was at that moment that I realized that God is a God of tender mercy uh, whose reflex response to me in my sin is love and, and compassion. And what God wants for me and what God wants for you, as you're saying this to your friend, is, is, is to guide our feet, is to guide your feet and to guide my feet into the path of peace, to set you on this road that leads to peace, to settledness and to shalom. Now, this isn't a traditional Romans road way of explaining the gospel, but for me, it gets me here in my heart or here in my bowels on an emotional level because it's such a powerful image. And I think that sometimes in the world in which we live, sometimes we need to, we need to paint a picture rather than explain a strategy. And this is a powerful image as we share the gospel. So we worship a God who is historical. We worship a God who is universal. He's for all times and for all people. But he's also, next slide, he's the king. The invitation this morning is to respond to to an historical and universal king. And it's this historical and universal king who brings meaning and sense into this liminal space which we inhabit. Only the... Only what lasts forever can make sense of the temporary, right? Only what, what is eternal can make sense of the temporary. And so it's this eternal king who, who declares over us that, yes, we are no longer enslaved, that we are free, but we're not yet home. We're not yet home. And as we worship this king in 
the in-between which we live, he settles our unsettled hearts. He gives us purpose and meaning and friendship and salvation, and uh, his sun rises on the landscape of our minds. And so let's listen to this language, or the language of the coming king in verse 4 of chapter 3. Next slide. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked and rough places shall become straight. The rough ways smooth and all people will see God's salvation. The prophecy that I just read from the prophet Isaiah quoted by Luke is talking about John, John the baptizer. Jesus' herald, Jesus' street team. And from this liminal space, this in-between, we look back at the moment where John heralded Jesus' first advent. When John said, you guys, you have to get ready because Jesus is coming. But we also look ahead to the second coming, when Jesus will come as the reigning King of kings and the Lord of lords. And our job, like John's, is to prepare the way for him to actually get out our spiritual shovels and our spiritual backhoes and to start excavating, to start earth moving. Next slide. Friends, there are mountains that need to be leveled. There are valleys or ravines that need to be filled. There are obstacles in the way of your friends, of your neighbors encountering Jesus. Maybe it's the mountain of pride They don't need God. They're doing okay. They're successful. And somehow, friends, this mountain needs to be leveled. Maybe it will take, as so often happens, as we've experienced, as many of us have experienced, uh, often it takes a real time of hardship when when their life is falling apart for them to realize that 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 what they need is not found in themselves or in the success of the world. And when this happens... Are you going to be ready to prepare the way for the Lord into their lives? When they come to you with their questions, will you be able to prepare the way for the Lord? Or maybe, and this is probably what's most, uh, what the reality for most people is, is that their landscape is actually full not of mountains, but of ravines. Maybe they have family trauma, or they've experienced evil acts leveled against them, or, uh, or sins that they've never been able to overcome. Maybe they see God as this absentee father who's not interested in them, or as a malevolent megalomaniac who finds joy in seeing them trip up and fall just so he can hold it against them forever. Maybe that's their image of God. Or perhaps for them, God is silent, quiet. He's not even on their radar. They have no idea who he is. This is a ravine. This is a valley that needs to be filled in. And maybe this Christmas, God is calling you to fill in the valleys between him and the people who he loves. Maybe this means a quiet homemade gift left on the doorstep with a note that God loves them. Maybe it's sharing on Facebook a short video of what Jesus and what Christmas means in in your life. Maybe it's inviting them to our Hope in Mental Health event that will be happening on January the 15th, right before the saddest day of the year. 
We've also created, like I said, these small cards ready to hand out. Uh, so why not invite one of your friends who have ravines in their life, who have valleys in their life, to one of our Advent services or our Christmas Eve services? Maybe, maybe there's a valley between God and your child or God and your parents. And maybe you just need to take some time this Advent to go out for a Timmy's with them and uh, remind them that you love them just as they are and just see where the conversation leads. Next slide. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Yes, all people will see God's salvation, but it's conditional on someone like you being willing to do the excavation work. So who is one person that God is calling you to prepare the way for the Lord for? So that they can encounter the sunrise of God's tender mercy through faith. Next slide. In this liminal space, this in-between space of Advent, we're invited to look back on Jesus' first coming and to remember this incredible moment of God becoming human. But we're also invited to look ahead to Christ's second coming. And speaking of Christ's second coming, Malachi says this, next slide, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. So this morning I want to ask you, where does God need to refine you? What mountains need to be leveled in your life? What ravines or valleys need to be raised? What rough places need to be made smooth? What crooked paths need to be made straight so that he can come? So that he can advent in his fullness into your lives and into, your, into the lives of those that you love. How can you be a harbinger? How can you be a herald like John for those around you? Next slide calling people to repentance, speaking words that paint a worldview in which Jesus is the historical universal king, a king who invites a response. Maybe you need to tell your story to someone you love, placing God historically in your life. You won't mention Caesar or Pontius Pilate or maybe Abilene, but there are dates and names that are coordinates for God's salvation in your life. And those coordinates might help them discover God for themselves. And maybe down the road, maybe they will have the day uh, where they say, that day that you told me about Jesus is the first, was the first coordinate in my story of discovering the historical universal King Jesus. Because he, here's how it works, is, is that if they realize that, that Jesus is the historical King for you, then maybe he can be the universal king that they need. So let's close with a prayer from Philippians chapter 1. And, and I'm going to pray this over you. And it will show up on the screen as well, but feel free to close your eyes and just listen. Philippians 1 verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless 
for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. Amen. Amen.